welcome to Small Pleasures, a podcast that discusses great short stories and greatness in the short story form. My name is Livy Michael, and I'm a novelist and short story writer from Manchester, England. And this is Sonia Moore, a short story writer and translator from Paris, France. Bonjour. We've come together because of a mutual enthusiasm for the short story, although I think our responses and what we want from a short story vary, and we hope that the differences will provide a fruitful discussion. In this podcast, we're discussing the short story Big Opportunities by Maxim Osipov from the collection Kilometer 101, published by New York Review Books in 2022. Sonia, how did you come across this writer? So I was introduced to Maxim Osipov's work through an indirect recommendation from the translator Robert Chandler, who translates from Russian to English. Oh, amazing. Chandler works mostly for NYRB Classics, often in collaboration with his wife Elizabeth, and he's translated novels, stories and poetry and edited and translated the anthologies Russian short stories from Pushkin to Buddha and Russian magic tales from Pushkin to Platonov. With the war in Ukraine and efforts at solidarity between writers, I was lucky enough to be introduced by the Disquiet International Literary Programme to the work of the Ukrainian creatives Sofia Androkovich, Lubya Yamichuk and Irina Tsilik. And I felt a need to also stay curious about Russian literary culture. Writers such as Chekhov, Gogol, Nabokov and Bulgakov have given me much pleasure over the years, but I wanted something more contemporary. So when Chandler mentioned Osipov's collection, Kilometre 101, which is translated from the Russian by Boris Dralyuk, Alex Fleming and Nicholas Paslak Slater, I set out to discover it. Maxim Osipov is a Russian writer and cardiologist. He worked as a research fellow in the University of California, San Francisco, before returning to Moscow, where he practiced medicine and founded a publishing house specialized in medical, musical and theological texts. In 2005, he moved to a small town called Tarusa, where his great-grandfather had previously lived after having been accused of involvement in the plot to kill Maxim Gorky and imprisoned as a result. A Soviet-era law obliged former convicts to live no closer than 101 kilometers to a major city, and Tarusa is just beyond the legal limit. It's to this law that the title of Osipov's collection, Kilometer 101, refers. From 2005, Osipov worked at Tarusa's local hospital, and he established a charitable foundation to ensure the hospital's survival. He lived in Tarusa till February 2022, when he fled via Armenia to Germany. Since 2007, Osipov has published short stories, novellas, essays and plays. He's published six collections of prose and his writings have been translated into more than a dozen languages. Kilometer 101 is his second book published in English. It's a collection of short fiction and non-fiction essays written over a decade and a half since 2005. We've chosen to focus on the story Big Opportunities, translated by Boris Dralyuk. Four pages long, it's the shortest piece in the collection, and it's astonishing by its breadth and depth in terms of chronology and geography. And it's also remarkable by its specificity in terms of setting and characterization. The story shares many of the admirable qualities of the collection as a whole, which is keen and uncompromising in its observation, and of great emotional subtlety and compassion. Livy, what would you say the story Big Opportunities is about? So this is an interesting question because what it's about and the plot are not necessarily the same thing. In terms of plot, a woman gets into a cab and the driver seems anxious to impress her with all the big opportunities coming his way. He then seems to ask her out rather clumsily. We gather that she doesn't take him up on this offer. It isn't stated outright, but he gives her his card in case she changes her mind. 
And then, we don't know how long later, some men referred to only as they come to her apartment to ransack it and take her daughter away. She phones the taxi driver who seems to sort out the situation. Later still, and again we do not know how long, we learn that the woman has followed the terrible career of her former taxi driver, hearing about it on the news, where we learn that he is definitely not the person she thought he was. But we don't really find out who he is, only that he has damaged or murdered many people. To come back to the question of what the story is about, I think I would have to say it's about Russia. Yes, I also got an overall impression of, of Russianness, whatever that is. And I love being obliged to consider this in terms of specificity, not generality. It's a very particular voice that leads us into the story through a free and direct snippet of speech. And it's wonderful that the translation renders this voice, which is remarkably insistent, categorical, imposing, even as it aims to seduce. But it's hard to know exactly who's speaking in that we subsequently realise that the voice is filtered by memory, as recalled by a woman passenger. The woman's observation of her driver reveals both him, the cabbie with his smallness, his speech impediment, and his almost naive drive and ambition, and her with her unique cultural baggage and view of the world. She wields words in Russian, but also Armenian and French, and notices that her unlicensed cabbie doesn't look Russian before considering the likelihood of him being Jewish, Komi, Shuvash, or Udmurt, a very neat indicator of the diversity of ethnicities and cultures making up this society. And the search scene in the woman's flat is so disturbing, one might easily be tempted to say that that's not here but in Russia. And while this is true within the story, Osipov never lets us lose sight of the fact that he's observing not just Russian people, but also individuals and humans. The woman's reaction to the search is all too relatable. Her attempt to psychologically distance herself from the scene at the same time as feeling personally very embarrassed by the piles of underwear and other intimate articles exposed by the search. And though we learn of the horrors committed by the woman's ex-driver, knowing how he intervened for her and her daughter, we cannot but understand that at his death she finds in her heart the room to be a little sorry. I really appreciated this clever dissection that comprises both a view of the uniqueness of each individual and certain characteristics perhaps common to humankind, and this impression of Russianness too, but sparing none of the contradictions and complexities. Absolutely. This is what makes his style so nuanced and sinuous in that one thing is never simply itself. It rapidly flows or metamorphoses into another. Partly because of this, this short story condenses a lot of time and space into four short pages, which is one of the achievements of Osipov's style. And to some extent, it's the quality of his observation that allows for this. Point. According to a 2019 interview with Howard Amos for the Colvert Journal, Ozipov is irritated by comparisons to fellow doctors Chekhov and Bulgakov. But Ozipov's characterization brought to my mind uh, War Six and the, the minute observation of the inmates there. And part of the character's dynamism doesn't just come from observation. There's this brilliant quality of apparent autonomy and ability to whip out surprises as if acting under their own volition, as one of the search party does, for example, taking an interest in the unlicensed cabbie's long-forgotten number when he finds it in a purse. This reminded me of Chekhov's The Lady with the Lapdog, that curious scene where Anna Sergeyevna asks Gorov if he despises her, and he responds with a non-sequitur, eating a slice of watermelon. And to circle back to the question on Russian culture, it's perhaps worth highlighting that the individuals in this collection do stand out as just that, unique human creatures, each with their own unique positioning in relation to their culture. One thing that struck me with big opportunities is how the setting shifts from Russia to the south of France. And the collection as a whole is remarkably cosmopolitan. 
And this reflects an important aspect of Russian culture with its history of emigration and highlights Russia's historic and cultural ties in Europe and across the Atlantic, ties between people and peoples. The Pushkin House blurb for a conversation between Maxim Osipov and Robert Chandler makes an astute link too with the internal emigration suffered by those forced to flee to the provinces and even certain sorts of self-exile. Kilometer 101 presents recurrent cases of individuals who, to cope with impossible circumstances, retreat into alcohol abuse. One of the aspects of big opportunities that I much admire is the impossibility of really knowing who the driver is through his dealings with the woman protagonist and how far he's the product or reflection of a society. When he helped her, was that an extension of the desire and ambition that led him to lead a life of cruelty? Or was he trying to do one small thing right in a life of rawness? Was it a sort of positive self-exile for the sake of some kind of salvation? Yeah, such a good point. And I think the fact that there are no answers to these questions in the stories points to their subtlety and also to a kind of absence where we might look for presence, the presence of something that is morally absolute, either indelibly right or wrong. But Osipov himself says, I never see any real active evil, just emptiness. And Teresa Cherfess, in her review of this collection, quotes his vision of Russian society in terms of the split between money and alcoholism as a kind of dialogue with the abyss. And I think this sensibility finds its way onto the page. Cherfess also says that Osipov's characters, their stories and experiences stay with you long after you turn the page because they're so true to life. Indeed, it's never absolutely clear which are fictional and which really exist. Absolutely. Robert Chandler, on the other hand, says about Osipov's earlier collection, Rock, Paper, Scissors and other stories, that what he recalled most clearly was how often the short story wrong-footed him. And that was also my response. I found that this short story raised a lot of questions. Of course, it is portraying a baffling and impenetrable system, but it definitely seems to be part of Osipov's style not to give too much information in the story itself. And I find that interesting, given that he's a lot of readers outside Russia who won't necessarily pick up on cultural clues. Although in the interview with Chandler, Osipov does say that he assembles footnotes up to 200 for a 10-page story and that their purpose is to be helpful, especially for translators. Still, I felt for the reader that there are many unanswered questions. So in this particular short story, for instance, we don't know immediately whose perspective we're in. It's not clear to anyone why the woman's daughter has been picked up by the police, why she thinks to phone the taxi driver when initially she doesn't take to him at all and has in fact rejected the move he makes towards her. What exactly he has done in his life or what his role is that makes him so criminally destructive and why exactly he can help her or what he does to help. So that's a lot of questions for a short, short story. And it moves fast, very swiftly between speakers and cultural references and events. Partly because of this aspect of his style, he covers a lot of terrain, a lot of time and space. And I think the unanswered questions point to another aspect of his style that has been commented on the combination of gritty realism and the absurd. Yes, an acquaintance who'd studied Russian and had spent time there as a student shared with me an anecdote about setting out one day from his temporary lodgings, only to be greeted cheerfully by his landlady scrubbing a blood-drenched doorstep. And there's something of this incongruousness here, perhaps. In certain writings by Gogol and Bulgakov, I remember the absurd being interwoven with unforgettable fantastic elements, missing noses, bouncing heads. And the treatment of the absurd here felt 
less visually impressive, but more dangerously close, somehow more real, though Osipov insists, as you say, on what a complex notion that is. Well, yes, to quote Chandler again, reality, Osipov repeatedly shows us, is more complicated than the stories we tell ourselves about it. But I think in absurdist fiction also, there is a sense of dark satire, which definitely permeates this collection and an emphasis on the meaninglessness of certain processes. So in the essay, My Native Land, he talks about the incineration of amputated limbs because irresponsible one-legged citizens don't bother to collect their amputated limbs and the morgue is accumulating severed legs. So as in absurdist fiction, the protagonist is alone in a world that refuses to make sense. And sometimes the experience is alienating for the reader as well as the protagonist. I did feel somewhat alienated by this world, although there are moments that stand out for me, like the Jewish man who is ultimately sorry for the vandals who have desecrated his mother's grave, where we see humanity or compassion shining through. And these elements exist together in juxtaposition. Yes. I was interested to read that Osipov loves music and that what he looks for in his stories is a sort of artistic brightness. His observation is so sharp, he might be tempted to see their facts or real lifeness. But stylistically, I see very little variation between the short stories and the essays. Prose is mercurial, incredibly fluid, and he seems to make great use of dashes to flow from one voice or thought or time to another. In The Cry of the Domestic Fowl, the narrator says that to love people and places is necessary to notice, recall, invent a succinct summary of both the work of narrativizing, which we all do all the time to put order and sense into our lives, and the work of a writer. And we see the protagonist of Big Opportunities doing this too, as she tries to make sense of the various moments in her life and the role of her erstwhile driver, both in her life and that of others. Osipov says, we are always willingly or unwillingly trying to introduce storylines into our lives that do not actually exist. So when people ask whether I lifted something from real life or not, it's completely unimportant because there are no storylines in life. And yet we do need stories. And with his noticing and recalling and inventing, Osipov meets this need, perhaps even his own need. I like the link his narrator in The Cry of the Domestic Fowl makes with love because I sense that there is something of that in his writing. You mentioned the compassion that came through strongly for me because he's often uncompromising in looking at what's reprehensible in human behaviour, in the behaviour of his fellow Russians. But noticing also relates closely to cherishing, I think. And if I might mention doctors again, I think they must know this in a very particular way because medical care and treatment relies on noticing, on observation. And it seems that Osipov had a presentiment that he would have to leave Russia. And I wonder whether there might also be a link with the sort of noticing and recalling inventing used by emigres so that they can return home through stories when there's no other way back. That's really interesting. And the, the way that medical care gets to the heart of the sickness in a nation as well. And an aspect of this is represented for me in the title, such as the essay titled My Native Land. It struck me when reading it what ambition there is in attempting to speak about a whole nation. I can remember when I was very young having an atlas and looking at the map of Russia or the USSR as it was then. And it always made me feel slightly dizzy because of the sheer size of it. Also, although I've never been and I would love to go, I once flew over Russia en route to Japan. It was an overnight flight and the vast terrain of Russia was just hours and hours of darkness. Then a small cluster of lights, which might be a Kutsk, then more hours of darkness. And I was struck once again by the sheer scale. How different the experience of living there must be from living in a small nation. I think you could fit all of England into the space between Moscow and St. Petersburg. And that's just a tiny fraction of the area that is Russia. 
Yet I would find it difficult to claim I was writing about England in my own work because England has such a diverse and complex culture. And that may be even more true of Russia. And a few years ago, I set myself a project of reading only Russian fiction for a year or two. I read War and Peace and Resurrection by Tolstoy, all of Dostoevsky, some of Gogol, Nikolai Leskov's short stories, Gorky, Bulgakov, Isaac Babel, etc. And what struck me about many of these writers was that their subject matter was often Russia itself, in a way that isn't necessarily true of English writers. And their search was for a voice or narrative form that might represent the nation somehow, when that nation is so huge and complex. We only tend to hear about European Russia, for instance, and only then when there's some catastrophe going on, as now, or about the space programme, I suppose. Of all the writers I read, I think Leskov was the most wide-ranging in the way that Osipov also is, and Osipov achieves this by means of his mercurial fluid style, as you say, which is particularly evident in his presentation of time and place. Absolutely. You use that word, the sinuous, which seems wonderfully apt. In the three elegant paragraphs, that make up this story, Osipov presents an incredibly intricate portrait of people and place. Few stories can lay claim to such granularity, spanning with such assurance the cameo and the crowd scene, the nature of the individual and humankind. The Big Opportunities presents an exploration of Russian culture that is, of course, timely, but also so precise and compromising and compassionate, it will surely stand the test of time. And formally, the collection as a whole is wonderfully challenging, stylistically probing the borders between essay and story. And while the prose is seductively engaging, it doesn't flinch from complex and difficult truths, often unsettling and challenging us to reconsider what we think we know about identity and culture. In this sense, I think it's fair to say that Kilometre 101 is a collection likely to expand one's inner geography. It's well worth discovering if you haven't already. So to recap, Livy and I have today had the great pleasure of discussing big opportunities from the collection Kilometre 101 by Maxim Osipov, translated from the Russian by Boris Draliuk, Alex Fleming and Nicholas Pasternak Slater and published by NYRB in 2022. Thank you for listening to this Small Pleasures podcast and do keep your eyes and ears open for our next. We have many great short stories to cover. Until then, goodbye from me and Sonia. A très bientôt.